Welcome to Grace Harvest Church's weekly podcast. For more information about Grace Harvest Church or to find out more about something you hear during the podcast, visit us online at graceharvestchurch.org. Now listen in and allow God to speak to you through this week's message. We have been on a theme called wonder. Not wander, like, you know, wandering in the desert, okay? But wonder, like being in awe and being amazed and being captivated by something. And we've been trying to recapture the wonder of the idea that God became human. As I've been saying the last few weeks, God in a bod. It's really kind of wrap your head around that. God in a bod. The idea that God enfleshed Himself in Jesus Christ. And He took humanity into divinity and He lifted up divinity, right? He, he, he took humanity into divinity and He brought divinity into humanity. And that's what we call the incarnation, which just simply means to enflesh God. It's one of the great ideas behind the Christian faith. And today, what we're going to talk about is the fact that a Savior has been born. And what that equals is good news of great joy for everyone. How many of you could use a little bit of joy right about now in your life? Well, I'm hoping to give you a reason to have some joy. And what I'd like to do right now is intro my message with a video Uh, from an organization that I love. If you ever get a chance to check out these videos, um, it's called The Bible Project. It's on YouTube or Read Scripture. They have an app, and uh, they have a video for every book of the Bible. And this is a section from the book of Luke, Luke chapter 1 and 2. My text today is going to be Luke's Gospel, the second chapter. And this is an intro that's done with animation of the story of Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2. And I'd like you to watch it. It kind of prepares the way for me as I get ready to speak the message. So let's go ahead and cue that up and get it going. The Gospel of Luke. Luke investigated many of the earliest eyewitnesses of the life of Jesus and then composed this account. And the story begins up in the hills of Jerusalem, the place where Israel's ancient prophets said that God himself would come one day to establish his kingdom over all the earth. In the city is the temple run by the priests. And one of them, named Zechariah, was working in the temple when he had a vision that freaks him out. An angel appears and says that he and his wife will have a son. What's this all about? Well, Zechariah and his wife, we're told, are very old. They've never been able to have children. And Luke's setting up a parallel here with Abraham and Sarah, the great ancestors of Israel, because they too were very old and could never have kids. Yet God gave them a son, Isaac, which is how the whole story of Israel began. And so Luke's implying here that God's about to do something that significant for this people once again. The angel tells Zechariah to name the son John. And then he says that this son's going to fulfill a promise of Israel's ancient prophets, that somebody would come one day to prepare Israel to meet their God when he arrived to rule in Jerusalem. Because right now, Jerusalem is ruled by the Romans. Yeah, specifically, it's governed by a man named Herod, who's a puppet king under the Roman Empire. And so the Jewish people wanted nothing more than to be free and govern themselves in their own land. So this is shocking news. Everything's going to change. God's on his way. But how is he going to arrive? 
Well, to find out, Luke takes us out of Jerusalem and then up into a small town in the hills of an out-of-the-way region called Galilee. And there we find a young woman named Mariam, or we call her Mary. She was engaged to be married. And then an angel appears to Mary, saying that she's going to have a son. She's supposed to name him Jesus, which in Hebrew means the Lord saves. And he will be a king like David, who will rule over God's people forever. And then Mary asks, okay, well, how is this possible? Because I'm a virgin. And she's told that the same Holy Spirit that brought life and light out of darkness in Genesis chapter 1 is going to generate life inside her womb. God is about to bind himself to humanity through the conception and the birth of the Messiah. And so Mary goes from some backwoods, no-name girl to the future mother of the king? Exactly. In fact, she sings a song about how this reversal of her own social status points to a greater upheaval to come. Through her son, God's going to bring down rulers from their thrones and exalt the poor and the humble. He's going to turn the whole world order upside down. So when Mary was really pregnant, she and her fiancé, Joseph, had to go down to Bethlehem. Yeah, there was a decree across the Roman Empire about new taxes, and so everybody had to go get registered in the town of their family line. There were so many visitors in Bethlehem, they can't find a guest room. And so the only place they can find is a spot where animals sleep. Now nearby were some shepherds with their flocks. And an angel appears, which, of course, freaks them out. But they're told to celebrate. Because tonight in Bethlehem, a savior has been born. Yeah, they're told to go and find this baby. And they'll know that it's the Messiah because he's going to be wrapped up and laying in a grimy feeding trough. Yeah, which is pretty gross. Totally. And then these shepherds, who aren't very clean themselves, they go and find the newborn Jesus in this really dingy place. And their minds are blown. They go home wondering what on earth is about to happen. And this is all really strange. I mean, if God's really coming to save the world, this isn't how you would expect him to arrive. Born in an animal shelter to a teenage girl, celebrated by no-name shepherds. Exactly. I mean, everything is backwards in Luke's story, and that's the point. He is showing how God's kingdom was first revealed in these dirty places among the poor, because Jesus is here to bring salvation by turning our world order upside down. Isn't that powerful? That lays the foundation for where I want to go this morning. And I, in particular, I want to share with you the story of these shepherds and their encounter with the angels and what the angels had to say about the birth of Jesus Christ. Matt Woodley, in a book called The Gospel of Matthew, God With Us, shares this story. He says, after returning home from a long tour, Bono, the lead singer for U2, returned to Dublin and attended a Christmas Eve service. At some point in that service, Bono grasped the truth at the heart of the Christmas story. In Jesus, God became a human being. With tears streaming down his face, Bono realized the idea that God, if there is a force of love and logic in the, in the universe, that it would seek to explain itself is amazing enough. That it would seek to explain itself by becoming a child born in poverty and straw, a child. I just thought, wow, just the poetry. Can't you see Bono saying this, you know? Like, wow, just the poetry, like, right? 
And then he says, wow, just, I saw the genius of picking a particular point in time and deciding that this event would turn on that point. And then he says this, and it's going to be on the screen as well. He says, love needs to find a form. Intimacy needs to be whispered. Love has to become an action or something concrete. It would have to happen. There must be an incarnation. Love must be made flesh. I love that. You know, approximately 2,000 years ago, God set in motion what He had promised for thousands of years, and that is the salvation of the human race and the restoration of creation. See, Jesus didn't just come to save individual souls from damnation or destruction. He came to restore all of creation and all that was lost and all that was fallen and all that was broken. He came to plant a seed that would ultimately grow into an orchard that would fill the earth, that would grow into a garden that would renew all of creation. He came in His life, in His death, His burial, His resurrection to start a new order and to change the way things had been. He came to redeem us from sin and death and hell and destruction and bring us into life and what we were really created for. He came to renew us again to God's original intention and to bring us back from death and bring us into true life. That's why Jesus came. See, Jesus Christ, the creator, became a creature and began in the same state all of us do as a harmless, dependent little infant. In this event, a Savior was born in human form. Glory to God in the highest. He became one of us, and a Savior was born in Jesus Christ. And this is what we call the good news, and the good news should bring us great joy. And that's where I'm hoping we'll go today. My key text today is Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20, and I want to read it. It'll be on the screen. If you have a Bible, either in paper, a paper Bible, or a digital Bible of some sort, you can follow along as well. But this is, this is the story, the narrative of when the angels encountered Jesus. And look what it says, starting in verse 8. And in the same region, and we just learned in the video that region was Nazareth. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field. Excuse me, Bethlehem. Keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold... I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. This is an interesting sign. I want you to think about it. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. A manger is a feeding trough. Now just stop for a minute and think about that sign. If I was to say to you, God's going to show you a sign, right? You would look for something really amazing, right? You'd look for maybe something in the sky, or you'd look for some strange circumstance to work out on earth. You'd you'd look for something that was not normal. And yet, this sign, in some ways, is very average, but also abnormal. But the sign is a baby, And this baby's lying in a feeding trough. 
near animals. That's, that's the sign. And it says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste. And they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw this, they made known the, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So as we look at this text, I want to break down some points and I want you to notice some things. And the first thing is because a Savior has been born, you don't have to fear. You don't have to be afraid. Amen? I know a lot of you in this room and I know that you're like me and there are times you're afraid. I mean, I know a lot of times, especially among some of us men in this room, we don't like to admit it because you can't show anyone that you're afraid, right? You can't show anyone that you have fear. But the reality is, I know some of your stories, and I know times that you're afraid, right? I mean, isn't it normal to be afraid? That great theologian John Wayne once said, (laughs) he said, courage isn't the lack of fear. It's saddling up and facing it anyway. I like that. Get on your horse and run at it. But fear is a reality of being human. Every one of us face fear. And the angel said to them, fear not. And in this text, we know the shepherds were terrified when they saw the angel because angels are supernatural beings. And if you and I right now were to have an angel appear in this room, we would probably all within a split second be on the ground on our faces and hoping that we weren't going to be struck dead. Something about the power of that being, the fact that that being is carrying I guess you could say an unveiled heaven right into our midst would strike us. And we would go through that same process many in the Bible did, where on one hand we would want to look away, and on the other hand we'd be completely captivated. So we'd have to look up. And you can see that these guys, these shepherds, were probably both afraid and captivated at the same time. They had to look, but they wanted to look away. They were terrified. And the announcement takes on a larger meaning in our lives when we consider all the things that people are afraid of these days. I mean, think about the time we live. I mean, you might be afraid of terrorism. Ever since 9-11 happened, we've been changed. Our country's been changed. If you've grown up in a 9-11 age, some of you have been born since 9-11, which is really weird to think about. But, but you know, on September 11th, 2001, we experienced a cataclysmic change in Western civilization, a cataclysmic change in the United States, and the world changed, and our country has been at war ever since. And we don't even realize that many times, that even right now, we're at war. And we we learn regularly when things are declassified that there are people in the world that right now are planning 
destructive acts right here on our own soil to kill innocent people and to take lives. And we, we know that's true. And every time um, our government declassifies certain intelligence reports, we find out how close it was that we had almost like another 9-11. And somehow, through good intelligence and through um, actions being taken and often through providential circumstances, our country and our people are protected. And I'm going to tell you, if you, if you spend all your time watching the news and thinking about that stuff and focusing your attention and thinking about ISIS and Al-Qaeda and, and lone wolves and all these different possible scenarios out there, you're going to be filled with fear. But the angel tells these guys and the Lord tells us in our time, do not be afraid. There's a reality that goes beyond terrorism. We live in a time, and this is a reality of the human condition from the beginning, but crime, right? I mean, right in our own community. We have drive-bys, we have gang activity, we've got drug trafficking going on right in our region. There's sex trafficking, human trafficking going on. There are terrible, terrible things that the human heart is able to somehow birth. Don't ask me how so much evil can come from the human heart, but we know it's called sin, Right? And, and all around us, we, we see things on the news. We, we notice on our 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week, 365 days out of the year, and 366 on leap years, news cycles, that we have a lot to be afraid of. And let me tell you something. Your fear drives up the ratings. Your fear keeps you watching. Right? And so, you know, if I'm a news agency, whether I'm Fox or CNN or any other group, and to me, they're all the same, but we won't get into that right now. Um, the, the, the goal is revenue. And the best way to drive revenue is to keep people stuck on that TV. And the best way to keep you stuck on that TV is to make you afraid. Right? And so we live in an age of fear because of all that's going on around us. Well, how about our political future? I mean, many are worried about our country and its future. And I want to tell you, I've learned that it doesn't matter who the president is, we have reasons to be afraid, right? Every time we have a new president, there's one group or the other that is telling us, the end is near. And so you should fear, right? And how about the economy or wars and rumors of wars? There's always the threat of war. You know, a lot of times we don't realize it, but we live in a very unique time in history, even in our own country, for although we're at war over in other places, it hasn't visited our shores. It hasn't happened in your neighborhood. You don't live in a war zone where rockets are dropping and you're hearing, you know, AK 47s shoot over your head. You don't live in a place like that, like many people in the world do. But that is the story of human history. All through human history, we've been a people at war. Right? We have wars inside and they make their way outside in our land grabs and our economic wars. And that's just the, the way we are. And yet the scripture tells us don't be afraid. The economy, our personal financial security, our future job, job prospects, our retirements, our portfolios, all those things want to make you afraid. And I could just insert here, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? Because, you know, the Bible tells us that there are going to be many reasons for people to be afraid. 
In, in the Revelation, in the book of Revelation, it tells us that men will hide themselves for fear. Some will say they want to die. Let the hills fall on us for fear. And if you live with your attention and your focus and your eyes on everything that's happening around you, you're going to be full of fear. But if you look up to the word of the angel, if you look up to the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord is do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Because why? Because a Savior is born. A Savior is born. And that's, that takes us into the next point. There is good news of great joy for all the people. That's what the angel says. I have good news. I bring you good news of great joy. I like that. Great joy. He doesn't just say joy. Great joy that will be for all the people. See, Jesus came to give us great joy. Not fear and depression. You know, sometimes I'll talk to people and they'll say things that kind of perplex me a little bit. Like, yeah, the, Lord, the Lord's speaking to me and He's showing me all these terrible things that are going to happen. I'll have people tell me that the Lord's telling them that, you know, terrible things that are going to happen to family members. And, these, and I, I find myself going, are you sure you're hearing the Lord? And so, so what, you know, what do you feel when you hear those things? I'll, I've had people come to me, I had a dream and you know, well, tell me about the dream. And they wake up from the dream and they're in terror and they're in fear and there's no sense of the presence of God and everything seems like vanity and they think maybe God gave them that dream. And I tell them, God didn't give you that dream, right? I mean, if you're a child of God, if you're a child of God and He's speaking to you, He's always going to speak to you with a sense of His redemption in it. Even if he's showing you something that's dark, he's going to weave his redemption and his hope and his care and his love through it. Right? We know that the scripture is really clear. We know that condemnation, we know that separation, we know that sorrow and death are for those outside of the covenant, those within the covenant. It isn't that you're going to, not going to go through pain or suffering or difficulty, but in the midst of that pain and suffering and difficulty, there is going to be a redemptive thread, and there's always going to be the sense that God's in it, and when God's in it, His presence and His hope is in it. Amen. Amen. Good news of great joy, not fear and depression. See, because we know Jesus, we can receive good news of great joy. This proclamation is sure because it was issued from angels who brought it directly from God himself. People from everywhere, from every background and every station of life, good news and great joy are yours because God has come to us in Jesus. And what is that good news of great joy? That Jesus is our Savior he is the Christ, and He is Lord. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I want to talk about that word Savior for a minute. And I want to tell you that you need a Savior. I need a Savior. I know that we live in a world that teaches us that we're our own Savior. But that doesn't work. Because the issues of our lives and of our heart are deeper than what we can do with our own abilities, wisdom, or strength. They go right to the root of the human condition, the very heart of who we are. They go right into the marrow of our being. And we need a Savior. Now, let me, let me just define Savior for a minute. I think it's really important that we understand Savior biblically because when we think of Savior, we define it in a very modern-day, 
kind of U.S. gospel background. And so when we think of Savior, we think Jesus is the one who saves us personally from our sins, and He's our personal Lord and Savior. And if we believe in Him and ask Him to come in heart, He saves into our heart, He saves us from our sins. And that is right, but that's only a part of the definition of Savior. See, biblically, the word Savior, the idea of Savior, was a rescuer who was a warrior. When they thought of Savior, in their mind's eye, they saw this king on a white horse, right, with a sword at his side, coming to rescue them from their oppressors. And in this case, their oppressors were Rome. So when they would have heard, when those shepherds would have heard a Savior was coming, they would have seen a picture in their mind of a great warrior who was going to come and liberate them from Rome, from enemy oppressors. And what I want you to do is, is, is see that Jesus did come as a warrior, but He came to deal with the real enemy that we all have. And that enemy issues in the human heart. I remember years ago I was reading the story of a Holocaust survivor who went to the Nuremberg trials. The trials were uh, those trials which tried all of the Nazi war criminals that had done horrific things. And I believe he was going to the trial of Adolf Eichmann, who is one of the most terrible, wicked men that's ever lived, right? And he said that he was waiting to see... Now, he remembered Eichmann from the past, but he was waiting to see Eichmann brought into the court. And as Eichmann was being brought into the court, his expectation was he would look at this man and see a monster. He was waiting to see the monster. And instead, in came this little frail man who was not intimidating at all. And here's what happened to Eichmann. At that moment... He said, I realized at that moment that the evil in Eichmann's heart that did that cut through every human heart. See, it's really easy for us in our world to classify our world in an us and them kind of way. It's really easy for us to call certain people bad guys and see ourselves as good guys. That's what we do. That's, why it's, that's how it's possible for us to go into a war and kill another human being. Because somewhere we have to be conditioned to believe that they're less of a human or that we're a better human. But what the gospel teaches us, what the scripture teaches us, is that evil cuts through every heart. I became aware of this again this past week, and I'm not trying to say this person is guilty before proven innocent, but it just illustrates the point for me. But there was a young lady that grew up here in our community. Many of you have probably seen it in the news, and she moved to Colorado, and she disappeared, and they have now come to the conclusion that she was murdered, and it's become a national news story. And just the other day, they arrested her fiancé. And this guy looks like a good guy. Like a normal everyday Joe, a rancher kind of guy, right? He's got his pickup truck, he's got his ranch, he looked like a good guy. And, it, and the evidence sounds like it's pretty overwhelming, that he may have murdered his fiance. And I, I look at that and I think I find myself going, wait a minute, I want him to be ugly. I want him to be snarling and have that crazy Charles Manson look in his eyes. 
and a swastika on his forehead. I See, there's something about us that wants to be able to clearly define the evil of our time. But what Jesus came to do was to get right to the root of human evil. And human evil doesn't reside in them, but human evil resides right here until redemption touches it, until a cross deals a death blow to it. It's really easy. I'm telling you, I know. I'm really good at being human. It's really easy to see the world in terms of us versus them. Those bad guys, this good guy. It doesn't work that way. The same proclivity, the same tendency, given the wrong set of circumstances without Jesus, what am I capable of? What are you capable of? That's why he came. He came so that that could be cut off, and he cut it off. He killed it with death. He slayed it with a cross. He cleansed it with blood. That's our Savior. That's why we need a Savior. Romans 6.23, many of you are very familiar with this, but Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Matthew 1.21, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. I think I have these texts of Scripture up there. You shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. So the wages of sin is death, but there's one named Jesus who will come and he will save his people from their sins. How many of you know that is good news? That's why we need a Savior. He's Christ. By the way, Christ is not Jesus' last name. Right? I just want to say that. A lot of people think, you know, Jesus is his first name, Christ is his last name. Right? Some people use it quite well when they're cussing. Right? And they think they're saying Jesus' first and last name. And, and Christ is not the last name of Jesus. Christ is the Greek equivalent to Messiah. In, in Hebrew, Jesus Christ would be Yeshua HaMashiach, right? Yeshua HaMashiach. That's the same as Jesus the Christ, the Messiah. And a Messiah in Hebrew was one who came to rescue people, kind of like the Savior part, and lead them to victory and justice. So Israel was waiting for this Messiah who would not only conquer, but then would establish a new kingdom in justice and righteousness and goodness. Once again, Israel would be established as the head of the nations, and all the nations of the world would flow toward Israel, toward Jerusalem, as the pinnacle of civilization, the place where God Himself dwelled in a temple with His people. That was the idea. So when we speak of Jesus as the Christ, we're talking about one who's coming to make things right that are wrong, straight that are crooked, one who's going to come and take all of the, the evil in the world and expunge it from creation and once again make it a pure holy place where God dwells with holy people. That's the idea of Christ. So when we say Jesus is the Christ, we're looking, first of all, Jesus, this, this warrior, this savior, who's going to come and conquer sin and destroy it with his death on the cross. And this one who is also uh, the, the savior becomes the Christ, who is the one who establishes justice, the Messiah, who makes things right that are wrong. And then he is, and this is the last one, he's Lord. Lord. 
And that is a word that is used throughout the Bible as the supreme one, the eternal one, the ruler of the heavens and the earth. As Lord, Jesus is confirmed as God. The great story of Christmas is that God came to the earth in Jesus Christ as a humble servant to give his life as an offering to God for our sins. He died, was buried, he rose again as Lord to restore us individually and begin the restoration of creation. And the idea behind Lord is a master of all of his dominion. And so when he comes into our life as Savior and Christ and Lord, look, he's coming to move in, he's coming to deal with sin, he's coming to establish a throne, he's coming to establish righteousness and justice on the inside, and then he is coming as Lord to rule over this dominion and take every square inch of who you are, every thought, every imagination, every affection, every part of who you are as, a, as your being. He's coming to take over, baby. And he starts in the individual human heart that represents you and I, but then it moves out. The idea as Lord is that he'll start to rule in our marriage, in our money in our sex life, in our thought life, in our jobs. See, we can't any longer relegate the Lord Jesus Christ to a decision we made one time years ago to come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior. But when we start to understand that he's coming to take possession of his land and rule it from the inside out, and he's coming to take over every aspect of our life and redeem it and make it beautiful and make it holy and make it pure again, when we start to really get that and we understand he's moving in to take over and he's going to take over every element of life, then we see that everything is holy. What we do with our hands is holy. What we think with our thoughts is holy. What we see with our eyes is to be holy. God is coming to take over so he can establish his reign in us and through us. Amen. That's powerful. And because a Savior is born, we have peace and grace in Jesus, and God is glorified. And that's how the angels end, right? They, the angel and, and the multitude of the heavenly host praise God and they say, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And another translation says, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Glory to God in the highest. This is what it's all about. You know what's beautiful ultimately? And I, I hope we get it, but when Jesus came, yes, it was for us. That's true. But ultimately, you know what he came for? The glory of God. He came to make his father look good. And the father just wanted his son to look good. And Holy Spirit wanted father and son to look good. And the idea in that is God would be glorified. And all of creation would be astounded at this God that favors people. Glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth to those he favors with his grace. To be pleased, to favor. That, that idea is God's good will, His good pleasure, His good intent, His benevolence, His gracious purpose. I think about this. God has your good in mind. And some of you don't believe that. You believe that God has your bad in mind. I, I mean, people all the time, they're making decisions and, you know, they're just convinced that. If it's hard, and sometimes this is true, 
But if it's hard, if it's going to make them unhappy, if it's a real bummer, if it's unpleasant, if it's not going to result in any joy, well, that must be, the God, that must be God's will. And I, I'm just like, that's sad. That's sad that that's what we think about God. You know, well, you know, if I'm going to... If I'm going to fulfill the will of God and do what He wants me to do, He's probably going to make me go somewhere I don't want to go. Weird. Probably, probably going to make me go somewhere I don't want to go, do what I don't want to do, and I'm going to be miserable, and that's how I'm going to live my life, because if I'm serving God, I'm going to be miserable in Jesus' name. You ever, you ever thought that maybe God knows how you were made? He knows how you were gifted, blended, personality, will, emotions, and that there's something about how he created you and what gives you pleasure. I'm talking about holy pleasure. What gives you pleasure that that thing could be aligned with what you were created for? And that could be God's will for you? And he's f- pleased with you. In Jesus. He favors you in Jesus. That's the whole profound message of the gospel. God has favored us. Even though sin has ruined us, God has favored us. God has favored us in Jesus. And he's coming to deal with that sin because he hates it because it corrupts who you are. See, he's jealous for you. His heart is jealous for you. He's a lover and he sees something captivating you which will ruin you. He sees a serpent talking to you and he wants to liberate you. He wants to bring you into all that God has for you and favor you. And he wants to fill your life with shalom, with peace, with a sense of inner well-being that flows out into every other part of your life. He wants you to know he has goodwill towards you and peace for you and favor towards you and he loves you and he's got a good plan he really does have a good plan for your life and that even your suffering can be a beautiful thing in Christ somewhere we've bought a lie amen see God has favored us because Jesus is born Savior Christ Lord amen peace on earth goodwill to you